Bible reading this morning comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 7. You'll find that at the top of page 1198. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at God's word together, let me lead us in a short prayer. Our loving Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you have spoken to us in your word, that the Lord Jesus Christ is described as the word. We thank you, therefore, that we can know you, that your word is clear and plain, and we thank you that it's a good word to obey, and we pray that as we seek to understand it together and think about what it means for our lives today that your spirit would give us insight, understanding and a heart to obey. In Jesus' name, Amen. As you can see, I am on the far side of 65. And as I can see, I have a few friends. People are saying to me now, when they look at me, when are you going to retire? (laughs) And then they say, because they're trying to be encouraging, because I say, I'm kind of in transition to retirement. They say, make sure you finish strong. I don't really know what that means. Of course, to tell you the truth, I don't feel strong. I'm certainly not as strong as I was when I was in my 30s and 40s. And we all know that it gets harder. I said to another mate who was worried about something deeply the other day, and he's my age, late 60s, I said, mate, we might have 20 years left, but the second decade of those 20 years aren't going to look pretty. So make the most of the next decade while you can. And it's true, isn't it? Declining faculties, just an ongoing physical weakness, you know, that little imbalance you feel that you didn't have five years ago. Memory recall isn't what it was. (laughs) You can't quite remember the name of that person who you went on that trip with, you know, all that sort of stuff. What does it mean to finish strong? And is it a helpful thing to say? I'm sure the person is trying to say to me, don't just limp into retirement. 
But of course, the Bible knows nothing about retirement, uh, nothing about retirement in Christian living and Christian ministry. And even as Paul writes to Timothy, this second letter, Paul is conscious of the fact that he's not too far away from the end of his life. He says in chapter 4, and I think this might be behind my friend's comment, he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And even though Paul says that, doesn't necessarily, he's not necessarily saying, I'm finishing strong. <laughs> he's in a prison cell. And when you're in a prison cell, you're, you're beset by certain feelings and thoughts and emotions and he's lonely and he wants to catch up with Timothy again and he wants to catch up with Mark and and he's conscious of those who let him down and he's conscious of those who stood by his side and there's real human emotion in all of that and the fact that he says I can see you know I'm not far away from the end doesn't mean to say that he feels all that robust and strong at least not physically. What he does say to Timothy is this, and I think his words to Timothy are true for Christian ministry, Christian life and ministry at any point in life. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You then, my son, be strong in grace. And even for Paul, who knows that he's close to the end, but he still don't, doesn't know exactly where the end is, each new day, Paul wants to be strong in grace. He wants to be strengthened in grace. And even though Timothy's starting out in his, in his ministry as a teaching elder in the church at Ephesus, so the, the, uh, in the city of Ephesus, he says, be strong in grace. If you don't remember anything else from this uh, talk today, as we look at the Bible, from this service, uh, remember everything that Kim said. I want you to do that. But if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember these four words. Here is God's word to us today. Be strong in grace. Now, what does that mean? You know why we have received God's grace? Because we're weak. Because we're, we're powerless. Because we're impotent. Because we're sinful. We've received this grace that we don't deserve, that we can't earn, you know all that. Because we're weak. Be strong in weakness. Almost sounds oxymoronic, doesn't it? In other words, you have no strength within yourself, whether it comes to salvation or service. Every resource you need, every grace, every mercy comes from God. And Paul is saying to Timothy, just be strong in that, just cling to that. Now, before I go on in the passage, I'll tell you what this, I think, means at the very least for us and for me. 
There are times in my Christian life, not many, but there are times in my Christian life where I really get ahead of myself. I may have, I may have done something in God's service that worked out okay, and I get a big head, and I think, aren't I a clever boy? Now, have you ever had those prideful feelings, those prideful thoughts? Well, I have. And you know, I need to be rebuked. I need to be reminded that whatever good thing has happened in my life, it's only because of God's grace. So I need to pull my head in and repent and back off a bit, don't I? I need to be strong in grace, be reminded that it's only by God's grace that, that I've done any good thing, any worthwhile thing, any helpful thing. I just got a text this morning and someone commended me for a book I wrote and said how encouraging it was. And I was tempted to get a big head. But no, it's only that God enabled me, God, whatever, it was all God and not me. So sometimes I get ahead of myself and I've got to be strong in grace. Never get ahead of yourself. Never think that it's you, especially when it comes to salvation and even when it comes to Christian service. But the other problem I have is the other side of the coin. There are times that I get so down on myself because I keep getting things wrong. I keep, I keep breaking God's law. I keep struggling with certain sins in my life. And pride might well be one of them. Envy is another one. Covetous is another one. Lust is another one. I really struggle with so many things and I've been a Christian for, for 50 years. You'd think that I'd know better by now. But 50 years into the Christian life, I've still got to come before God and as the commandments are read in the early communion service, we didn't do it today, Lord have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. And I'm tempted to think, can God keep forgiving me? You know, I know he's a forgiving God, but, but, but surely there's a time when that forgiveness is going to run out because I keep blowing it. You know, we might call it habitual sin. And what is the word of God saying to me? Be strengthened by the wonderful grace that you have. He keeps forgiving because Jesus' death when Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin, he died for every sin, past, present and future. And so I need to be reassured again by the gospel, be strengthened by the grace of the gospel and certainly ask God for forgiveness again, but don't doubt the unlimited reserve of that forgiveness. So there are two words, there are two ways in which these words apply before I move on. What are the four words you are to remember? What is the phrase? I want to hear it. Be strong in grace. Okay, now I'm going to make three points. The first point is this. Timothy is a young Christian leader, teaching elder, a guy like Matt, probably a lot like Matt. You know, a young guy may not have been losing his hair like Matt. But just starting out in his ministry, 
Timothy is an elder in the church at Ephesus. Uh, they don't meet in a church building, of course. You won't find a church building in Ephesus in the ruins of ancient Ephesus. They met in, in homes and stuff like that. But God's kingdom was growing as the church was growing. And three ways in which Timothy, as a Christian leader, is firstly, he's to defend the gospel. Back in chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This gospel which, Paul, which Timothy heard from his mother and his grandmother, they're mentioned back in chapter 1, this wonderful news that forgave Timothy, that transformed Timothy's life, that set Timothy on a completely different direction in life. He is to guard it. This gospel, this wonderful gospel that Christ died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And the sound doctrine that conforms to this wonderful gospel, that phrase is used in 1 Timothy chapter 1. The truth, the Bible... Timothy was brought up on Old Testament scripture and through those scriptures, his mother and grandmother taught him about the fulfilment of those promises in the Lord Jesus, in the coming of the Messiah. He's to defend these truths. Anyone watch the footy last night? I can see some people shaking their head. No. Uh, you can confess to, it's not a sin to watch the footy on Saturday night. Anybody watch the footy last night? Yeah, I got a couple of hands there. Was it AFL? Was it rugby league? If you got Foxtel, I don't have Foxtel. Uh, was it was it the Crusaders and the Lions? If you've got Foxtel, I had a South African guest last night. We had to go over to a club because I'm too tight to buy Foxtel to watch the Lions get smashed by the Crusaders again. We got any New Zealanders here? Very unfair. I think they should play in a different competition altogether. Did you? <laughs> the defence of those Crusaders, they are just magnificent, aren't they? They hold their line like no other team. And to win a game of footy, whether it's soccer, whether it's AFL, whether it's rugby league, whether it's rugby union, you've got to have good attack. You've got to put points on the board, but you've got to have a good defence. You've got to hold the line. And Timothy was to hold the line when it came to the truth of Christianity, to the gospel. Kim has mentioned that he went to this conference called GAFCON. Anyone know what that is? Um, some of you do. I hope all of you will. It stands for Global Anglican Futures Conference. And it's a gathering of Bible-believing Anglican leadership, bishops, pastors, lay people, a gathering of people from all over the world who are seeking to hold the line when it comes to the truth of the gospel, defending the gospel. And Timothy is to defend it. He's to suffer for it. He's not to be ashamed of it. He's not to be ashamed of his leaders like Paul who are suffering for the gospel and defending the gospel. And that's what we have to do in our day and age. Secondly, 
Paul says to Timothy, verse 2 now of chapter 2, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. He is to communicate the gospel. He is to advance the gospel. The gospel is to be defended. We draw a line in the sand and we say this is the truth and we will not compromise it. We also advance it. We take it to the nations. It's good news. The good news of salvation. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised according to the scriptures. That salvation is found only in him. This good news of forgiveness and eternal life is good for other people. We want to advance it. We want to tell people about it. And it came to Timothy through his parents, through his, sorry, through the women in his life. His mother and grandmother are mentioned. It obviously got reinforced by the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, others have heard me say this, entrust it to reliable men, teach leaders, train leaders who will teach others also so that we put points on the board. I don't mean to say it like that. So we advance the gospel. So not only are goals scored against us, but we score goals, if I can put it like that. And of course, this gospel has been communicated through the generations. And the reason why we sit here this morning is because people were faithful in bringing the gospel to us. Let me pause and get quite personal because it's, in one sense, a sad but also a happy time for St Stephen's Willoughby, if you, if you will understand what I mean. There'll be some people sitting here this morning who are ever grateful for the ministry of Sheila Spencer because she brought the gospel to you. And while she has fought the good fight, and finished the race and kept the faith and she's very close to the end she's also very close to being in the presence of Jesus see people from a previous generation here at St Stephen's Willoughby and I can't name everybody but I I, I knew Theo and Joyce Heyman um, you know, I, I knew a number of people many years ago I knew people long before, I knew of some people long before most of us were even here. When I lived on the other side of Mowbray Road in the western suburbs of Mowbray Road and went to Mowbray Chapel, I knew the curates here, Reg Piper and Terry Dean, all these people who faithfully brought the gospel and people brought the gospel to them. And God is doing his work of taking the gospel to the nations. It's advancing. And that's what Paul says to Timothy. And that's why Anglican Aid is, is working so hard. You'd think that we were just involved in, in welfare and development. But at the heart of our work, we want to train the next generation of leadership. We provide bursaries at the George Whitfield College. We, we help little Bible colleges in the Congo and Tanzania and in other places just get on their feet and uh, train young men and women from rural areas in East Africa. Because we want to see 
the gospel go forward throughout Africa and in other parts of the world. And that's what, that's the pattern that's way back here as the apostle, the great apostle to the Gentiles writes and says to this young emerging Christian leader, Timothy. So the gospel is to be defended, the gospel is to be communicated, it's to advance. And thirdly, Timothy is to be true to the gospel. Paul goes on to give three illustrations. He talks about the soldier, he talks about the athlete, and he talks about the farmer. In ancient Ephesus, there would have been, there would have been a garrison. Uh, there would have been soldiers everywhere. There would have been sentries. There would have been people making, making sure that enemies didn't approach by the sea or the land back there in Turkey, in what we now call Turkey. So soldiers were an everyday sight. So too were athletes. You know, they trained for the games, for the ancient games. There were boxers, there were wrestlers, there were runners. Uh, you know, we have our modern Olympics based on the ancient Olympics and so forth. Uh, seeing athletes train and athletes compete was, was a daily sight. And of course, there were farmers. Every family was a farming family. They were subsistence farmers. And so the food security of ancient Ephesus, the water security of ancient Ephesus, it all depend upon, depended upon farming. And of course, we give thought to our own farmers. And I'd love you to, to, to go to the Sydney Anglican website or the Anglican Aid website and see our Archbishop's appeal for uh, drought-affected farmers in north and western New South Wales and in southern Queensland. So farming, athletic competition, military activity, military presence, common things. But let me just pick up one of these illustrations because I don't have time for the three. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Timothy is challenged with the integrity of the, of, of the athlete who is to compete according to the rules. Now, it doesn't mean that Timothy's salvation, which was by grace through faith, now reverts to how well Timothy performs. It doesn't mean that Timothy now has to obey all the Ten Commandments, otherwise he's disqualified. In chapter 1, Paul makes it very clear that we're saved not by works, but by God's grace. Chapter 1, verse 9, he saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. We're Christians not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. We must never forget that. So chapter 2, verse 5 is not reverting to a gospel of human performance, of our works. So what can it possibly mean? Well, Christians occasionally break the rules, just like athletes do. Okay? Uh, if you watched any game last night, whatever code it was, there would have been a penalty here and there. There might have even been a yellow card, hopefully not a red card. You know, but they, they're still a part of the game. They still believe in the game, even though they have to pay a penalty. You know, we break God's laws. Thankfully, the penalty has been paid for us by Jesus. But we're still in the game. We haven't been disbanded from the game. 
I don't know whether you remember. Did, does anyone remember? No, you won't. <laughs> it's not because it was too long ago. It's only 2010. Does anyone remember the, uh, the Soccer World Cup in 2010? Australia was playing Ghana three hours out of Johannesburg. I was actually at the game because I, my daughter had just had a baby boy in Johannesburg and I took her, to, it was her first outing after she had gave birth to the baby. And Harry, uh, Australia's star player, Harry Kuehl, do you remember that name? Harry Kuehl, uh, the ball hits his arm like that and his arm goes up and he gets red carded. He gets sent off. Pretty serious stuff. You don't, you don't block the ball with your hands or your arms. And poor old Harry, I don't even think he meant to do it, but they, Garner got a penalty, made it one all, and that was the end of our World Cup hopes. Not that we really had any, but that's another matter. So, you know, but Harry didn't stop playing, playing football. He loved the game and he, he respected the game. So that's not what Paul's on about here. But something else happened in a game of football. In 1823, in a small town in England called Rugby. Anyone know what happened? A young schoolboy by the name of William Webb Ellis decided not just to break a rule, but basically to change the rules. So he thought, I'll blow this using your feet playing football. That's too hard. So he picks up the ball and he starts to run with it. Now, that's not just breaking a rule, that's trying to, that's, 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 that's driving a knife into the heart of the, the very essence of the game. And of course, rugby was birthed. And today, you've got rugby as a sport, you've got, you've got a world body that governs it, you've got clubs all over the world, you've got their, they've got their own World Cup. I think that's more what Paul has in mind. An athlete doesn't receive the crown unless he competes according to the rules. Now, let me just pause here, and I, I'm not going to take too much more of your time. Um, Kim and I, 200 other Australians, and uh, our Archbishop, parishioner here at St Stephen's Willoughby when he can, uh, he's a parishioner here, doesn't get here that often, because he's busy defending the gospel in other places. He was there. Di was there. My wife was there. 200 Australians, 2,000 delegates. Big operation, expensive operation. Why were we doing it? It was all about defending the gospel. Because what's happening in the, in the Christianish world and the Anglican world, but not only the Anglican world, uh, in other denominations as well, there's this, there's this poison called, called theological liberalism that's taking root and has taken root in many parts of the church. And it denies the gospel. It denies sound doctrine. It denies the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It denies the fact that Jesus died on the cross as a penalty, uh, as uh, taking the penalty for our sin. It actually says that Jesus' death was a kind of... Uh, example of sacrificial love, denies miracles, denies heaven and hell, denies justice, denies judgment, denies grace, denies what the Bible says about human sexuality. It's just, it's just thrown out all of those things 
and yet it still tries to be a part of mainstream Anglicanism. And it's completely polluting and poisoning the church. People aren't going to come to any living faith in Jesus through all those denials. You see, they haven't just broken the rules. They've tried to, they've tried to change the rules so that the game's beyond recognition. They've flouted the rules. And the, the, the crazy, iniquitous thing is this. They still try and maintain that they are mainstream Anglicanism and evangelicals, Bible-believing Anglicans, are the ones who are divisive and schismatic by developing a movement called GAFCON. Can you see how wrong that is? See, what happened when rugby was born? Rugby went away and developed their own code and developed their own structures and governance. They bought their own fields, they built their own stadiums and they tried to attract their own crowds. They had the integrity to walk away. What is theological liberalism doing? It's stealing our paddocks, stealing our stadiums. It is damaging the faith of many brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's calling us divisive and schismatic. Can you see how important a movement like GAFCON is? That's the reason why we invested time. You know, costs a lot of money to get to Jerusalem and be a part of a conference of 2000. It's worth it for the sake... It's all about defending and advancing the truth of the gospel. It's all about seeking to live with the integrity of an athlete. Our Archbishop, our previous Archbishop, Archbishops from many parts of the world who are giving leadership to Anglicanism in their countries. As Paul writes to Timothy, he is to defend the gospel, he is to advance the gospel, he is to be true to the gospel, he is to be like an athlete who is true to their sport. He is to live with the integrity of an athlete. Let me pray. Father, please help us in the ways that you have given us ministry here at St Stephen's Willoughby and opportunities for ministry beyond. And above all, please help our leadership uh, for Graham and for Matt and others here at St Stephen's, Christian leadership throughout the world, to be true to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.